Hey, everybody, it's Ryan Ripley. Wanted to get a new offering in front of you as soon as possible, evidence-based leadership. And so, as you all know, Todd Miller, myself, and Will Seeley, we're big on evidence-based management. We want to apply it to the leadership space. We all know that modern managers face complex challenges every day. You're juggling a lot of needs, your direct reports, your stakeholders, your customers, they all need constant attention. What we want to do is help you manage that. We want you to use information and data to make good decisions around all of these areas so that we're delivering the right thing at the right time for the right customer. And we know that we're doing that because we're using data and evidence to validate all the things that we're doing. And not only that, we're not just looking at value, but we're looking at our capabilities as an organization. Can we deliver on time? Can we innovate effectively? Do we have too much tech debt? Do we have too many things in process? Are we unable to deliver when the market demands that we do? We look at all of these things with evidence-based management. We merge that into a leadership uh, mindset and lens, and we enable you to make new and better decisions repeatedly based off of the data that you're collecting within your organization. It's exciting stuff. We hope you can join us. Visit agileforhumans.com forward slash EBL course. Join us in one of these offerings. We think you're going to love it. Hope you can join us. Use Agile for Humans, the number four to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. You're listening to Agile for Humans with Ryan Ripley. Learn more at ryanripley.com. This episode of Agile for Humans is brought to you by Agile plus DevOps East 2018. They bring together practitioners seeking to accelerate the delivery of reliable, secure software applications. Learn from industry experts how your organization can leverage Agile and DevOps concepts to improve deployment frequency and time to market, reduce lead time, and more successful, deliverable, stable food. Choose from over 100 learning and networking opportunities this November 4th through the 9th in Orlando, Florida to improve your Agile skills in hot areas such as Agile and Lean Development, Scaled Agile Development, Leadership, Digital Transformation, and more. Agile for Humans listeners, use the code AgileDev to receive 400 off your conference registration. Visit well.pc forward slash Agile for more information. Warning, this show will challenge you to engage your brain. We might even provoke thoughts that change the way you work. Don't panic. Inspect. Adapt. Deliver. You're listening to Agile for Humans with Ryan Ripley. Learn more at ryanripley.com. Welcome to Agile for Humans. Our goal is to bring humanity back into the world of software delivery with agile values, principles, and practices. We gather top agilists from around the globe to share insights and help you grow as servant leaders in your organizations. We seek to open minds, change hearts, and deliver value into the world. Now here is our host, professional scrum trainer and agile practitioner, Ryan Ripley. Welcome to Agile for Humans. I'm your host, Ryan Ripley. Zach Boniker, Amitai Schleyer, and I are trying to figure out if this is episode 97 or 98. I'm sure I'll have it numbered correctly by the time you're hearing this, but uh, we've brought the old school crew back for a fun, shorter episode about a few topics going on with Amitai and Zach. Uh, honestly, everybody, you're listening in on the three of us catch up. Um, it's been a while since we've talked. Amitai has been on his coding tour in Germany. Zach is... Uh, in the uh, in very the in sunny California, as always, um, we're about to have the the largest conference of the year in his backyard. So I'm sure he's pumped to actually be able to go to a conference without having to fly halfway across the country. 
So that's sweet. So if you see Zach at Agile 2018, remember everybody, he loves hugs. Find Zach, give him a hug. He uh, he loves meeting new people, but he'll only engage if you hug him. Um, and be sure to check out his talk. Uh, he got a talk in this year about uh, Agile hiring, right? And so yeah. he's going to share He's gonna share the talk. So you still got to go go to the talk, give him a hug, tell him he did a great job. But uh, he is going to help us out with some hiring topics. I do a lot of hiring. I know Amitai has got some experience being hired. Um, and so we're going to check that out. And then uh, we're going to do a check-in with Amitai. He's on his European tour. He, uh, he's like the, the touring bandits, but he's the one-man show uh, hitting all of these companies in Europe, uh, helping them uh, with their coding practices and learning some things along the way. So that's show for tonight. So gentlemen, it's great that we're back together. How have you both been? I, I can't complain. Um, I live in San Diego where it's sunny and there's a huge, big agile conference happening in my backyard. And so life is good. I, um, I have very little to complain about. I'm a tie. How's Tavi? He's great. Uh, he's holding up well in the strangely San Diego, et cetera, like sun of Germany this summer where Yesterday was a good 34 degrees, which I gather is in the 90 plus range. And it's been like this for a couple of weeks. So it's a little bit tough to, to tolerate, but he's walking around in his diaper doing okay. Yeah, it looked yeah. like he was, uh, we'll put a picture uh, in the post. Looks like he was doing some deadlifts on the bed uh, earlier today. Uh, yeah, he's, he's always finding that thing and, and taking a brief pause to see if he can lift it yet before crawling over it. Uh, he uh, he looks like he's pretty tough, so he must be taken after his mom. That's right. And uh, so now let's get a check in real quick on Becky. Do we have to call her doctor now? Uh, she's been doctor for a while, but in Germany they're apparently way more particular about whether you're allowed to have this title. If the doctorate was bestowed in some other country, then she would have to get it vetted by whatever German authority it is, or she cannot give herself that title. American PhD is worth, I don't know, not much in Germany yet. Huh. It, it's the way it goes. So, hiring. So, I've definitely hired Scrum Masters. Amitai, you're on the, the hiring end as a consultant um, quite often. But, Zach, what are, what are the lessons here, man? Because this is a big topic. So, Agile HR... You know, I, I'm actually, I don't know if I should share this strategy. I think a lot of people will actually listen and steal this, but what the heck. I've been eyeballing Agile, um, I'm sorry, HR conferences for next year. Uh, really kind of thinking about getting in front of these uh, HR specialists and trying to talk about agility and hiring and, you know, because how many, I'm sure you guys have uh, been asked the question at some point, so how do I hire a really good scrum master? Or what do I look for in an Agile coach? And it's like, well, I... I left my 37-point checklist at home, but here's a few things I look at, right? Um, <laughs> but, Zach, I mean, I'm sure you've got some wisdom uh, going on here. What's, uh, what are some of the things you've learned as you've prepped this uh, awesome talk for Agile 2018? It's, it was kind of a um, – I don't want to describe it. It was, it was both a personal experience from a few years back and then I would say really the last three years of mentoring people <clears throat> locally who are looking for work where – what I call the convention of hiring really starts to show its dysfunctional side. And, and what's really amazing to me is that we generally accept it. You know, we, a company says, Hey, let's go use agile and have a big transformation. And we'll hire a bunch of consultants and coaches. And then we'll tell the teams to do all these practices. We'll do training and all these things. Right. 
But all these very first entry points into the system aren't changed. It's like you said, HR, right? How we hire, how we onboard, how we bring people into the organization. We don't, we, we just ignore it, right? So what I started doing is started talking with people. So I, I have this about three years worth of data of talking to people and I'm not going to, it's not meant to be this scientific, you know, data set or anything, but I can say it's about a hundred people on each ends of the spectrum where I asked, what are your goals for hiring as a hiring manager? And what are your goals for getting hired as an interviewee? Right. So <clears throat> the people who I talked with about their hiring managers or you know, whatever, and I say your goals for hiring, the four themes or the four trends that came out the most, and these are in no particular order, right? But the things that people most frequently said their goal for hiring is, is to increase production or increase resources, like one of those two, you know, it's kind of the idea of, of getting more. We need to hire more because we're growing. Or to bring skills we lack. You know, we, we were trying to build some Java apps. We don't have any Java developers. We need to hire Java developers, right? Or create cohesion and to have order among people. So this was popular with like replacing a director or new managers or saying our, our organization is so dysfunctional, we need cohesion and order, right? And then lastly, people hiring said one of their goals are increasing the momentum for the company goals, right? So it's an agile transformation maybe, and we need to hire more agile thinkers, right? We just need to have a culture shift. So that's our goal. We're trying to increase momentum for that. Okay, so that's great. Increase production, bringing in skills we lack, creating order, and increasing momentum towards goals, right? So then you ask, or then I'd ask the people who are looking for work and say, all right, what are your goals for getting hired? Sort of different responses, right? And I think that that's the interesting thing. The most common responses for people getting hired are, I just want to grow my career. I want a promotion. I want to feel like I've taken a step, et cetera. People also said, I'd like to have a job where I feel like I have an impact. So it wasn't so much about a promotion or growing the career. It was just, I just want to be valuable, right? I want to make a difference. People, off, uh, people also said they want to develop their skills, right? Hey, I want to learn new things. I want to get better at what I do. And then the fourth most common is I just want to be part of something that I enjoy. I've always wanted to work at company XYZ and I just really want to go there. I have friends or I've heard great things about it. I just want to be part of a workplace that I enjoy, right? So think about that, right? Now, I know you don't have a, like a table to compare to, but think about how out of alignment we are in the convention of hiring. Where people hiring value order, the people looking for work value belonging. For people who are hiring and they want productivity, the people interviewing just want to contribute to feel like they're having an impact, not just be productive, but to be valuable. For people hiring, they want effectiveness, but the people interviewing really just want to be in a place of learning. And our companies hiring want alignment and order, but the candidates really looking to be happy and to be part of something that's enjoyable, right? So like we're completely out of, out of sync. And so, I mean, I, I don't think I need to, ask anybody like what, who do you think has the leverage though in this conversation, right? Who gets favored in this relationship? It's always the companies, right? And so then you end up with this dysfunctional pattern of hiring where we're attending to only the company's needs. And then the companies, of course, lament, where's all the talent, <laughs> right? <clears throat> so I started exploring this principle even more, this, or this concept even more. Is that, all right, how can agile help, right? Cause we have agile values and these align with principles, right? So 
obviously our principles are talking about software development. So how might agile values guide us with, um, with bringing people into an organization from an agile perspective? So like, if you think about the convention of hiring, right? And I said, okay, cool. Tell me the practices that we have in hiring that align with individuals and interactions. What, what would you say? Okay, that silence was That's right. kind of what yeah. I think too, right? But if I said, what about hiring aligns with processes and tools? Oh, well, we got applicant tracking software. We do all kinds of keyword filtering. We use all these tests and tricks as a basis of skill comparison. You know, we have all these things that are processes and tools. Okay, let's try this again. Okay, so, so, so we missed on one value, no problem. We, we're gonna nail the other three, right? Um, working software. Okay, well, working software won't make sense, but what's the part of working software? It's really the applicant, right? It's really the end product, right? It's the increment, right? So like the applicant. What do we do in the hiring, in our convention of hiring that really places value on the applicant? Okay, right. Similar experience to what I have, right? <laughs> but if I say, what about hiring values comprehensive documentation? Well, I don't know, Ryan, you've been a hiring manager, right? You ever written an over or ever had to hire to an over the top, uh, over the top job description with like so 90 bullet points? I have, and I actually sat down with HR and I took them the Agile Manifesto and I said, you see these three serve, or I, I actually took them the Manifesto and the Scrum Guide. And I said, we're hiring a scrum master. So you see these three service levels in the scrum guide? This is the only thing that should be in the body of a, uh, of a job description for a scrum master. And the guy looked at me and said, eh, all right, that's cool. <laughs> nice. And we switched it. And uh, suddenly the number and quality of applicants went, went sky high um, because the scrum masters who looked at the site were like, oh, wow, I've never actually seen a job description where it was just about the, the role of the scrum master. It was pretty cool. Beautiful learning right there, right? Beautiful learning that, that speaks to exactly this point, like of being able to actually value the applicants. Like what is it that they need and need, the, what information do we need to give them, right? But the other comprehensive documentation is you get like resume screening, like where people literally, literally reading resumes as a basis of whether or not we should talk to somebody. You know, it's interesting, it's, Zach. I, I really, I don't like that practice. Um, and, and maybe I've gotten away from it. I'm, I'm sure you don't, I don't even look at the resume anymore. I don't either. I actually, but. I'll just call the person. Uh, I just want to have a conversation. I mean, so there is one, so, right? So I am kind of a homer in this, but if I see PSM three on a on a resume, I'll just call them in for the on site interview. I I believe in that assessment, and people can chat. You know, come at me, bro. Like whatever, but people can can light me up on Twitter or leave a comment on the website, but. If you've got that certification, I you can just come in and, and interview with me. But otherwise, I'm gonna I'm gonna just have a phone call. I'm gonna have a conversation. I want to hear what this person. I want to hear passion when they talk about Scrum or or, or agility or both. I want to hear about their experience. I want to see if they can articulate their experience. Want to, you know, that's the kind of stuff we we'll do the background checks and we'll figure out if they're lying or not with some very sophisticated, you know, searching tools and things like that that companies are paid a lot of money to do. I want to talk to the person. I don't know about you guys. Well, sure. it, yeah. And, and I'd almost say that that assessment is less about the actual resume, right? I mean, so you're, you're hiring them not based on what was it, or you're wanting to talk to them not based on the content or format or structure of a resume, but, you know, via the signal of that, um, of that certification, I've, I've seen somebody reject an applicant based on resume format. 
So if you talk about comprehensive documentation, yeah, I just don't like the style of resume. Guys probably no no good. We'll just reject that. Just madness to me. Oh, right. I've I've had I've run into this. Like so, I think a lot of the listeners know I've gone independent. I'm working with a lot of training groups and hiring groups to come in and do training and very very short term engagements. And um, you know, there was a company they wanted Scrum training. Um, they specifically wanted uh, the PSM uh, training, but uh, they were like, "Hey, you don't have safe here on your resume." And I'm like, and I, I'm like, yeah, well, they're like, well, the, the training manager, you know, specifically wanted safe and less. And there was like all these scaling frameworks. I'm like, yeah, but you're hiring me to deliver a two day private PSM course, professional scrum master course. What do those certs have anything to do with? And for, and it just, it was like a, I ended up having to, to call a few people and have a few more conversations, but they were ready to pass on, you know, there, there's only 200 of us in the world who are qualified to and licensed to teach that course, but they were going to pass because of some superlious um, cert that had nothing to do with the ask. I mean, I'm sure you guys say that all the time too. And the solution to that was finding the right person to talk to. Right. I think uh, one thing that I've seen in hiring, uh, when we talk about a process that is resume centric versus a version that is conversation centric, it reminds me of, I forget the exact names, but in, in animal reproduction, there are two sort of, polar opposite strategies of how animals reproduce. There's one where, you know, you have, you lay 3000 eggs and maybe a few of them become viable, but you didn't invest a lot in any particular egg, but on average it's enough to get some, some fertilized salmon or whatever. Uh, or then there's the human strategy, which is where you, you do something that puts your life at risk for about nine months. And then maybe you get one and then you invest in them for another 20 years and maybe you get one that we like at the end, right? Or not. <laughs> it's really intense. You have all your eggs in that one basket in that reproduction. And so this, this puts me in mind of uh, if it's resume based, it's 3000 eggs, which are the eggs that we're going to try to fertilize. And if it's have a conversation, you can't have 3000. So you need a smaller pool and you need more connection to those people. Okay. So, Amitai, I may use this in the talk because I can think I can make it to the point. Do you want to hire people or do you just want to pull in a bunch of salmon? Oh, that's great. Thank you. Thank you. This is wonderful. Thanks. Thanks for that analogy. I love it. Have yeah, yeah, this, is, this is not the first time we've uh, workshopped some upcoming talks on the show, guys. This is <laughs> this is good. Um, so kind of moving. So, you know, again, and I'll just illustrate this, right? This thing that, that we're talking about, these experiences are literally the convention of hiring. And, and it's like, yes, we experience the pain and we say that was ridiculous. But most people, it's just, they just go along with it. And it just goes and continue. some ridiculous, you know, requirement on a job description. We just go along with it because it's on the job description, right? You know what though, Zach, I actually, when I, when I'm talking to companies and when I hear this kind of stuff coming through, it's kind of a red flag for me um, because I'm sensing I'm sensing from these processes and practices that they're looking for a defendable way to make a decision. And what I mean is, well, what would happen if, um, you know, say they hire me and it just doesn't work out? Well, we followed the process. We checked all the boxes. Everything looked right. You know, it just it must have just been some anomaly. And I, and I think if, if they're treating their they're hiring like that. Um, probably a lot of the other internal politics are, are predicated on defensible decision-making as well, as opposed to learning, experimentation, exploration. And so I'm not saying I disqualify anybody because I still love going in and, and helping companies. And I, you know, if, if they were all in great shape, they wouldn't, 
they would never hire us, right? And so I, I, it's not a disqualification, but at the same time, it's kind of like a little piece of insight. Like, wow, I may have to really copy a lot of people on emails initially and make sure I send that follow-up summary after every meeting to make sure everything's documented. And so I, it kind of gives you that tip that, wow, there might be some process-heavy thinking here that, that we're going to have to work through. Yeah. Well, and that's, that must be a complicating factor for, Zach, what you researched is that when you have the four themes you pulled out for the employers, for example, uh, or the people who are doing the hiring, you got a pattern of responses from people who were able to articulate a reason. I wonder if, two things, I wonder if they were articulating the, the correct reason or if this was some kind of retrospective coherence about what they must have been looking for. I would worry that they were making up a story because, two, I think a lot of people when they hire don't actually know. And so they're trying to come up with an answer that they think is defensible to the people they have to justify the answer to. No, it's a great it's, – it's really, really great insight. Um, and it's why I, I, I don't want to nor will I present this as some sort of scientific or defensible fact of saying this is it. It's more just along the lines of, hey, I talk to people and this is what they say. Putting the asterisk there on that extra note of saying, by the way, maybe this is people just trying to create reason in a place that they themselves are confused on. This is just a really, really fascinating point. And then I think it, it makes it even more – I think it, it makes these responses even more interesting to think about it from, in, in that, from that lens or in that context. You know, but you could also throw a wrench into like when we say that the employer's interests and the, the potential employee's interests are not necessarily aligned. That makes it even harder if maybe, maybe a lot of the people that you're looking to hire could articulate what it is that they're looking for other than living indoors and making a paycheck. So, but a lot I, of the people doing the hiring might not be able to say what their interests are, and then how can you find a common interest when you can't say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I try <laughs> tried to preface it with people saying, you know, uh, aside from just wanting a job, not being broke, living on the street, you know, <laughs> why, what what really are your goals? How do you really want it to be? You know, um, yeah, for for getting a job uh, or for for getting hired. But I try no, to ask it, that. Like I try to explicitly ask those questions. Yeah. Like when I'm interviewing, it's not. Yeah, it's, I've sat through far too many interviews where, okay, tell us about your resume. And it's, all right, that's not really rewarding. Or, you know, what's your, what's your biggest flaw? It's like, all right, I, so now I got to give the miscongeniality type answer from the beauty pageant where sure. I just care too much. And that can sometimes lead to bad work life, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, so I'll ask a person, you know, what are three things that you hope to learn in the first three months of working with me and the team? You know, I'm trying to get to where. I really want to figure out what their passion is. I want to figure out, you know, what I, how I can serve them. Um, there's a person who, there's three scrum masters who report to me right now as I wrap up um, my day gig and move full-time into um, professional scrum training. And one of them has expressed an interest in becoming a, a trainer someday. So I'm going to continue to work with her. That's a commitment I made um, as her boss at this company. It's a commitment I'm going to uphold through the next couple of years, even though we're no longer working together. And it's, it's those kind of things. That's something she brought forward when she was interviewing. And it was, all right, I'm with you on this. It doesn't matter where we're working. If you want to stick with this, we're doing it. And so, and I try to make sure to pull that stuff forward um, just so that I know, like, how can I serve this person? How can I help them become a, a you know, that, how can I show them the, the world of possibility and better uh, that's in alignment with what they think is possible and better? 
and maybe just a half, st- a half step uh, further than what they're looking? You know, how do I serve them in that regard? But I think the, for me, and this is a shift, I didn't always think this way, but when I decided to phrase it as, how can I serve this person I'm about to hire? It changed the questions I, w- I started to ask. You know, and it, it's, it just took me a little bit to kind of to get there. Yeah. That's an awesome reframing, and it makes me think of another power imbalance that exists here. So, Zach, you mentioned early on, we don't have to ask, you know, who has leveraged the employer or the would-be employee. But I think there's, there's power in the other direction when we're asking them these kinds of questions. Like, what's, what's your goal? When we ask an employee of a company, they have very little power, and they feel like they're answering a question on behalf of a lot of other people. So they have to give maybe a safe or likely answer. But when we ask an individual who is a candidate what's important to them, maybe they're on the spot a little bit if they hadn't thought about it before, but the answer is theirs and theirs alone. They are the authority on the answer to this question, and whatever they say is by definition correct for them. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's really a good point. I mean, you know, I, I don't think I need to go through and continue through the remaining two Agile values, come back and say things like applicant collaborations at a customer and responding to change within an interview, you know, what about our hiring practices and principles really, you know, help us, you know, create, create practices or things in that space. And, and the answer really is that there aren't right, but we have things like management driven hiring, really generic rejection letters, literally treating people as contracts or saying, nah, yeah, no, you interviewed, we're done. You get an automated response. Bye-bye. You know, um, negotiating and contracting out through recruiters that have their own politics and policies for how the standardization of interviews and, and the, the questions we ask people, all these things just kind of are on the other end of the spectrum when we look at agile values. Right. So, um, the principles that I have four of them right now. So I don't know if I want to call these the agile principles for hiring, but I, I just, you know, th- these might be four new principles for hiring. And so the first principle that I think can inform our practices for hiring and you know, no- nothing that I'm going to share here is practices. I mean, we talk about some of the things that I've done that may um, be informed by, by these things, but really just starting with principles, right? Cause we know that that's, that's where the power is. The first would be attend to needs. And I know that's a very basic statement, but what I'm saying by attend to needs is everybody involved in this relationship. Right. So I thought of this as a useful phrase for the principle when I was taught or for, for this first principle, when I was talking with a friend who, um, well, they've got a very different form of hiring, right? And he said, we were talking about our hiring and why it was so ineffective. And we realized that our entire interview strategy is built on the principle of making sure that we think the person is the right fit for the company. But that, that's terrible for the applicant. It doesn't help them. And after all, if we don't hire them, they completely wasted their time with us. So what would be better? You know, what, what, what would be a better set of principles? And they said, well, why don't we just add the same thing? to the applicant. So to make sure that we think the applicant is the right fit for our company, but what about the other way around? To make sure that they think they're a, they're a good fit for our company. And then lastly, ensure that the person interviewing feels like they were fairly assessed. Let's design our, our interview process you know, from there. So there's actually two <laughs> things that are in favor of the applicant, whereas only one we're looking for on the company, right? So attend needs, right? Attend to what the applicant needs. As we talked about their, you know, some of the things that they're looking for, their goals for hiring, 
What can we do in our hiring practices to attend to those needs? The second principle, <clears throat> build up for teams. Build up from teams. And what I mean by that is I've been involved in working with a team where I got an email on Friday. Hey, Zach, wanted to let you know. You know Joe is a new developer. He's going to be starting with your team on Monday. Go ahead and make sure he's got everything he needs. And thanks. I mean, asked the team, did we know we were getting a new team member? Not a single person knew, right? So build up from teams is this idea of in agile, which is very team centric. Our hiring practices should be team centric as well. So how do we start and construct our interview practices and approach by starting with teams and building up? That's easy when it comes to hiring new team members, right? And I hear people say, so how am I supposed to do that with, say, a new director? And the point is, we don't build up from teams and say that the teams have to hire this new director. But when you hire a director, you're going to ask any of the teams what the impact of that person was on them. If there's anything that we want to consider in a new person, even things that they really liked, things that helped enable our teams and, and not, uh, you know, enabled our teams to be successful, do we want to make sure that we have those? Do we know of those things? You know, we just kind of look at the team as just a unit of thing rather than maybe the heart of this whole thing, right? And building upwards. Yeah. So Zach, maybe an idea around that. I know we're trying to, to get away from practices, but I can't help it. That's good. Um, so we actually do a retrospective around hirings. Um, you know, usually just we'll do it at like the one month and like the three month. And it's really around... Did we onboard this person well? How did the person, how the new hire feel? What was the impact on the team? How could we change that impact? What would the team like to see when we bring someone new in? What would this new, what did this new person feel that was how our needs met, how were needs not met? Um, and we actually go, it was spend a, at least an hour and usually it goes into two just talking about how we brought the person in, how they were onboarded, how they were treated. Um, and it's interesting because the answers can change over that one to, to three month period and we learned a lot about um, the intake, you know, someone's first day, what should that look like? Yeah. Um, and it really, like, it led to some interesting practices. You know, it, it turned into a handwritten note at the desk. It turned into making sure their laptop was there. It turned into making sure all of their licensing was on the laptop. It turned into, you know, a, a suggested person to pair program with on day one. Um, you know, having their calendar up to date and having someone take them around to meetings and introduce people and it just led to like a lot of nice little touches that you know take away the anxiety of the first day make sure there's a team lunch planned but also give the team an opportunity to learn about the person and honor the fact that we're disrupting that dynamic and i mean i you know i'm, I'm always talking about just do a retro but in this case a retro around the hire was really really effective yeah no you're, you're absolutely right um I can think of one company in particular. I don't want to be shooting names quite yet because our you know, company names, I don't know if that's appropriate or <laughs> it's safe to say that, but I can think of one in particular that um, has made that a cornerstone of almost everything for their transformation of, of hiring is it's all been entirely retrospective based. And it's, uh, it, it's the point where they'll literally retrospect with the applicant yeah. And before they leave, sit down and say, so let's talk about this experience. Like, how did you feel about it? What worked well? What didn't? What can we do to improve? Like, I mean, how, what would you want to be in place for, you know, another person, you know, to come in that would like, it, and it's pretty fascinating, right? That they'll actually go to that degree. I've um, even seen, there's a company, 
where I was reading a case study about on online just this past week, where if they don't hire a person, they explain why they're not quite ready to hire them and things that they recommend that would make them ready. And so they would, they will actually point out that we felt there was a knowledge gap here that, or perhaps you didn't articulate this very well, but we know that there's this boot camp here, or we know that this book has helped other people. And they actually give them kind of a, we're not telling you no, but if you can close this gap, we want you to come back and talk to us again kind of thing where it was a really powerful moment there too, because it's, it's building relationships. It's not, I find hiring is so transactional, right? I'm trading my time for your money and and the further you can get away from that, really make it about relationships and, and long-term thinking and planning like that, I think the better off you end up and, and the teams actually gel and people want to stay. And can, can you imagine, um, you know, your, your hiring practice is actually being a retention strategy, but I think that's possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I absolutely think it's possible. Um, there's um, this company that I'm referring to that, as I was interviewing and learning about them and their, their hiring, um, they shared with me that they have people who are on application five or so. That's amazing. Meaning like they hired, they applied, they, they weren't hired. They applied again later, weren't hired, applied again, weren't hired. I, I mean, I don't know if you've, if it's ever happened to you, to, to either of you, but I've applied for a company or, 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 been in conversation with working, you know, with a client or with companies and the experience was so awful. I said to myself, I'll never work there and I'll never go back and talk with them. And, and when people never, never recommend it. Yeah. I'll never recommend them. I, people will come and say, Hey, what do you know about company, you know, X? And I'm like, I, no, you don't want to go there. Yep. Right. So just the fact that this company <laughs> has people who have been rejected multiple times and yet they keep keep going for it and keep trying and learning that, that, that to me is fascinating. Right. Um, you could say that they're iterating on their application and which is how you can tell that the agile value is passing through. Yeah. And that's, that's actually, um, one of the principles, right. Of, 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 of like, you know, new ways of hiring maybe where I call it mentor for the future. What if your hiring process was like one of your greatest recruiting tools? Like, like Ryan said, Right. So in this case, it's everybody who applies is a relationship that you can start to grow the talent of people around you. Right. I I hear this all the time from companies, the talent pool, the talent pool, where are all the good developers? The talent pool is so small, you know, but the truth is you can, people can interview and you can learn or you can see opportunities and gosh, you know what? We're not going to go with you. And here's why It, it could be a skill. It could be of what they believe or, or, or something or a lack of experience or whatever it is, but there's all these opportunities now to create a relationship with that person and almost assist them with where you believe they need to be, to be a part of your organization. And if you can create the excitement and energy around this interview process for it to feel worth it and that you're on their side rather than just being rejected, like contract negotiation, just now we're not going with that contract. We're cutting you loose. If you can make it feel like you actually want to have a relationship with that person, Perhaps you'll find yourself like this company where you'll have applicants reapplying after they study, after they learn, and as they continue to get better. Right. So, you know, that makes me think of is in that same company where they have a sales team. If you hear the sales team saying, where are our customers? We can't find any customers. The customer base is so small. They have techniques for that. They build a funnel 
and then they find the people who might be interested and they figure out how to turn them into people who are interested yep. and who would be a fit to buy this product. And it's not so different with an HR team or with a company looking for who are the people who would join us. Yep. If, if you could apply the same knowledge that the people over there in the building have and use that technique to get people, yep. then what? You're absolutely right. All right. So, so if we use this as a principle for hiring, mentoring for the future, you know, I, I, it would be hard for me to believe that maybe I was talking with a client or a group and they'd said, no, we're not going to go with you, Zach. And I'll tell you what, here's, here's why. Here's your feedback, you know, done in a human friendly way, of course. Um, but, you know, here's where we kind of see opportunities. This is what we felt. I'd have the opportunity to figure out where I might improve. And whether or not I felt like I needed to improve for this organization too. So it leaves me with some power, right? But it doesn't just feel like I got cut loose. And at least I have something at the end of that relate or that negotiation or that conversation that I, I can I can work on. Right? I heard so I feedback think is an agile value. What was that? Is that true? I heard feedback is an agile value. Is that true? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, something feedback that, I, that actually feeds back. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> something I like to collect too, and I will occasionally call candidates, and I should do more of this when I'm in a hiring role. Um, if we make an offer and they say no, I really want to know why. Because I'm, um, and it's not even, I haven't even taken it personally. Sometimes it's just, well, this company offered me more money, and that's what really moved their needle. And, um, you know, and, that, and that's fine. But sometimes you'll find that, Part of the hiring process was off-putting. Uh, if yep. you're willing to collect that that set that potentially negative feedback, um, mm-hmm. and but but to collect it out of genuine curiosity, because um, I've also seen where if someone turns down an offer, it's like, oh well, they weren't good enough to be here anyways, and people move on and they they kind of take it very personally. And I, very for personal. me, it, it's like, wow, this is probably an amazing opportunity to learn um, where. Because uh, it's it's two ways, right? And I think that's really, Zach, a lot of what you're talking about is that it's a two-sided relationship. And the more you treat it that way, I think the better outcomes you get. Because I would be impressed if a hiring company, because I've turned down offers, if they called me up and said, all right, Ryan, honestly, we'd we'd like to know what was it about the offer, the team, the culture, the location, whatever it was that, that just wasn't a fit for you at this moment in time, that would actually... That, that would make me kind of rethink the decision. You know, I, sure. I might come back and say, well, wow, you guys are really showing a, an interest in, in feedback. You're showing an interest in transparency. Um, you're being vulnerable in the fact that I could just blast you uh, with some really negative feedback. Um, I, yeah, it's a lot of trust, too. And it, that could actually kind of swing me in, in certain situations. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree. So, you know, hey, maybe maybe this idea of mentoring goes two ways. You know, uh, it could be a uh, perhaps the candidate has opportunities to mentor you as the organization a little bit. Well, say, gosh, you know what? I, I, I'm not, I didn't take the offer, and I'll tell you, here's why. Here's how I felt during the interview. There's an opportunity to improve right there, just like you said. So Let me, it, let me share a story on that real quick, if you don't mind. Yep. Uh, there was a young lady who was interviewing to be a member of my team. She was excellent, just uh, she was a very good developer, loved having her come in and visit uh, with the team. Uh, she did some pair programming, had a lot of great conversations. The team was super excited. She seemed really excited. Um, we just we basically said, how much do you want to make? And we just offered her what she said. It was just that simple. It was just we were it was within the bands that she asked for uh, or that we were willing to spend. The number she asked for was reasonable. The bonus she wanted, you know, everything was just in alignment 
And then she turned us down cold. And, wow. I, and we were devastated because we're like, wow, we gave her the money she wanted. She was a good team fit. Um, she had, it seemed like really like she was happy on site and she was. And so I actually, um, I called her up and I was like, Hey, I no, I'm not trying to sell you. I mean, we're, we, we totally respect your answer and no pressure at all. I'm just curious, you know, you, you did, you just, you did so well on the interview. Um, you know, we, we offered exactly what you asked for. It seemed like you had a good time with the team. You know, what was really the factor here? Like what happened? And her answer was, um, the building that we work in is depressing. That way. And she felt like, um, while the team was a good fit, she really liked, you know, the prospects of me as a manager. Um, she liked our leadership chain. She got to meet all the way up to our senior VP. Everyone got, she just said, look, if I walk in that building every day, um, I'm going to be miserable. It's depressing. It it looks like, it looks like a prison with cubicles. And I thought, all right, that's really great feedback. Um, you know, sorry, we couldn't. When we move offices, out. we'll call you. Yeah. Well, and so uh, I ended up um, moving my family back to our hometown, and and but I I went back and visited. I was actually teaching a a PSM course out in uh, out in Fort Wayne, and uh, I was able to go back and visit the company. And they the VP that I had been working for completely renovated that floor, like he yeah. put it in his budget for the next year, and now it looks like a really cool office space, and it's got collaboration zones, it's got private work areas. So it's not just the open floor plan that everyone that's totally out of style now. It was a mix of some really cool ideas, and uh, I know they reached out to <clears throat> they reached out to her afterwards, and uh, you know I hope I hope it ends up working. But uh, that feedback was taken to heart, and they put uh, some serious bank into correcting that problem because um, this young lady was in the the millennial group, which I think is just a fascinating. We've talked about them before on the podcast. Just a fascinating group of people coming up in the workforce. And that problem was just going to get bigger and bigger as time went on. And so I, that piece of feedback probably helped, you know, the next 10, 20, 30 hires, whatever it is, um, have a better shot of accepting and, and getting some really high quality talent. Yeah, that's so true. Right. And, and I, I, I think most people in the hiring, what we, what we consider normal hiring probably would have just taken offense and been upset. We gave them everything. We got, they're just... They're, they you know, weren't serious all along. We got backstabbed maybe. Um, and they would have never, well, they probably in that, if they were in that mindset, probably didn't have the right, you know, hiring practices to obtain feedback in the first place. But yeah, you're right. Most likely they just would have blamed, blamed the candidate and yeah, never would have, never would have gotten the feedback they, they needed to improve. Yeah. So. I did get some blowback for seeking that feedback. It did rile oh, some yeah. people up and ruffled some feathers, okay. but you know what? Uh, the feedback was put into use and uh, I was really happy I made the phone call because that was something that that learning made the whole process worth it. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. It makes me, makes me think then of, you know, again, kind of being, just kind of establishing that relationship with the candidate. Right. And, and not just treating it as a transaction, right. That, Oh yes, we've hired you. You check the box and move on. Right. That it was a little deeper than that for you. So you wanted to know more that to me makes me also kind of think of the fourth principle here. This last one that, that I have, which is very simple. It's just people over skills, especially early on. You know, I, I think that knowledge work today in a lot of ways, well, now, now I'm not going to say that two developers are the same, of course, but in a lot of ways, you can find two very talented software developers and their development skills 
their ability to solve programming challenges and puzzles and, you know, what their experience with, you know, whatever technologies are. It's almost a commodity. It's almost commodity at this point. Wait, Zach, you don't want people to solve FizzBuzz anymore? <laughs> what? Wait, are we still doing that in hiring? I mean, I, that was- I wish hiring managers would go out to Glassdoor and see the list of the same tired questions they've asked 30, 30 you know, 30,000 times they're listed there and that every candidate is prepared. Like, let's get, I, I love that, Zach. I'm glad you've, you've brought this up. Let's get past this nonsense of my favorite, right? When I join a new company and they hand out the 10 interview questions you have to ask. I'm like, well, yeah. this, this yeah. after one interview, okay. someone, someone knows that you have standard questions. They go to Glassdoor, they post them, yep. and, and suddenly your interview process is getting gamed. Oh, I don't know why we're getting people who aren't qualified. Well, they prepped your 10 questions. So stop that. Yep. Adapt in the moment. Yep. So favoring people over skills as this principle, um, I think is is best embodied by a, a company that I, I learned about and researched. Right. So um, a gentleman out in Australia. Um, I, oh my God! Don't please. If he's a if he's from New New Zealand, I'm going to be in trouble. But I, I'm almost positive it's Australia. Um, Omer Molad. He, he has a company called Vervo. Vervo is building recruiting software and they've got this really unique approach to, to hiring. He gave me a fantastic quote that illustrates this principle exactly. He said, most hiring practices focus on technical skills, especially in the software engineering world. However, why do people tend to get fired or leave? Not technical skills. Ryan, that might relate, right? You may, you may feel that like re- recently, right? It's not about technical skills these days, especially for knowledge work. Right. So his approach. So Omer's uh, approach at, at Vervo is saying, basically, when we find people that we want to bring in, the entire conversation is focused exclusively about people, their beliefs, what they want, um, helping them understand our mission, their alignment with mission or, or the, their alignment with our mission. And especially the opportunity to give people the feeling that they can contribute even if maybe they don't have a certain skill or something that they still might be able to bring something that we don't have. We're going to start there. And so these conversations that we do are in standardized tests or testing, you know, engineers with things like FizzBuzz or looking for the top five percenters to solve some program. This stuff is a commodity item. It really is. At this point, if when we favor people over skills, the outcomes are markedly different in both the people that we bring in as well as just the relationship that is formed when they come in, right? So it helps them get to a more productive place right away because they understand our mission. They understand our values. They have a sense for this is a company that I feel like I can really belong in. Um, so something I've I, tried to do, Zach, um, this people over skills, I've gotten away from the questions. I've gotten away from I want to do experiential things. Right. So I actually um, I love your principles. I love the values. Something that I've done, like, you know, we've talked about, you know, kind of throwing the resume in the bin, you know, people over skills, conversation, you know, over checking boxes. But I also like to um, like uh, so I hire scrum masters a lot. And so for me, a scrum master needs to be a great facilitator. Right. Good with people facilitate. Let's get to some. Whether we're facilitating to consensus, we're facilitating to an outcome, whatever it is, or facilitating for exploration, all of those are important. So I'll actually, when a candidate comes in, here's the team you could potentially be working with. Let's run a retrospective. And it's it's a, I'm not expecting them to to catch at every team dynamic, but to come out of it with one valuable insight, I think is reasonable. 
And yeah, some people get really, really nervous. I love it when my interview is to do a retro. It's one of my most favorite things <laughs> in the world to do. That to me is like uh, a, an amazingly um, interactive and fun interview. Even if I were to bomb it, I would walk out of there going, all right, well played. Very cool way to interview. I also think that a scrum master is, is part teacher trainer. So here's a whiteboard and a pen. Teach me scrum. And pretend I know nothing about it. Now, this throws people off, especially if they've looked me up. Um, and I've had to kind of, I've asked them to start teaching other people. Um, because as a PST, you know, it kind of unnerves people a little bit. They think they're going to get nitpicked, which I, I don't do. I just listen. Um, but I, I want them to draw it and train it and teach it and tell me why we do the things we do and where the opportunities for modifications are and how we prepare the scrum events and how we can facilitate them and how we can... You know, how we serve other people through keeping things transparent and how empiricism plays into it. And, and what's, you know, how does each event serve an empirical process control um, framework? And I really want to hear that stuff. And, you know, from coaching, like, hey, we've got this problem right now. What are three things you would try? And if one of them isn't ask the team, I'm, I'm kind of, my ears perk up a bit, you know. Are, oh. they, trying to, are, are they trying to solve issues instead of uh, reveal you know, are they trying to, to dig in and be uh, very descriptive, proactive, instead of stepping back and leaving space for creativity and the team to solve their own impact? All that stuff, I'm trying to create the opportunity to, um, to see, but also because it, it lets me adapt the interview. So if I see an area that they're strong and they're weak, I can, I can pursue the strength, um, especially if I feel comfortable that I could train away the weakness. And so, you know... It, if they have a strength that I, we really need on the team, it lets me make more interesting decisions instead of, oh, well, I see you worked for XYZ company from 1997 to, 20, to, to 2005. Yeah, why don't you tell me about three things that you uh, accomplished there? <laughs> there's, no, there's no adaptation there. It's really yeah. just verifying the resume. And I, I, can't, I cannot encourage this enough. To the, to, if you're doing hiring out there, try to get people to do real work um, if you are doing a technical interview and you're having a candidate sit down with real code, pay them. Um, I think it's unethical to have them sit down and generate actual customer value without compensation. Um, but I, I think it's perfectly fine to have them pair up with one of your developers and do a kata. Let's, yeah. see, let's see how they would solve something as long as it's short and reasonable. But get to, get to something real. Get the resumes. The resume is some nonsensical shield that you're trying to justify decisions with. Get away from it. Do real work. Do real things. Have interactions. You know, mentor them along the way. Create this long-term outlook for your practice. And, uh, and visit Zach's talk, because I think he's going to dig into so much more of this stuff. Um, I mean, that, I've, clearly, I get super excited about this. Because, I mean, I, the last time I had to hire Scrum Masters, I had to. The last time I had the opportunity to, um, I wasn't forced to. I, I think I interviewed 60 or 70 Scrum Masters. And I just learned so much about... It got to the point to where I could actually pinpoint who taught their CSM. Or whether or not they actually had a PSM. I could, I could actually tell the difference without looking. I mean, that's how, that's how experiential and inquisitive and, and some of this practice got. And it, um, I'll tell you what, it led to three great hires. And uh, I'm totally bummed to be leaving them, but... I think they're going to do great things. And I, and I hope that I, some of these lessons I carried forward, the next time I have to hire people, it pays off. So, Zach, you've put together a cool talk. I love how it's value and principle-based. And I'm, 
thanks for letting me ramble, but, uh, and also thanks for bringing these forward. Of course. No, and I, I appreciate the encouragement. Thanks as always, Ryan. Yeah, steal the stories, steal the ideas, and uh, I hope this helped you get ready, cause it, but I think it sounds like you've, you've, you're going to nail this, man. Thanks, man. I hope so, too. I'm a tie. I know you. I hope not, because I'm going to miss it. So I hope you do a really bad job and then do it again someday that I can hear it and it's good. Uh, Yeah. And by that that time, I'll have actually been able to practice it some more. So it won't be so terrible. This is, you know what? This is a great plan. Let's do that. Let's have me bomb so that I can do it later for you. Actually, Zach, I think we ought to co-present this next year at an HR conference. Okay. You want to do it? I'm in. All right, we just had a verbal commitment on Agile for Humans episode 98 or 99 or 100 or something. Something-ish. I heard it. I'll tell you what, if there's anyone out there that organizes uh, a national HR conference who would be interested in hearing about how Zach and I go about hiring Agilists, uh, coaches, Scrum Masters, developers, uh, reach out uh, in the comments or send Zach or I an email or hit us on Twitter and I think we'd love to talk to you about um, checking out your conference and helping some helping the HR world uh, give, them, give them some insights into the ways that, uh, that we hire people. And, and we haven't even touched onboarding, right? So we still oh, have a whole world that we can get into. That's, a, that's another huge topic that could take another show. Amitai, you're doing a coding tour. So you've been actually, you've picked a whole new model, right? So you'll go into a company just for a couple weeks, uh, hang out, get some work done, and then you're out. I love this. I don't want to work anywhere long-term again, so... <laughs> I, I want to hear more about this. Yeah, so the the basis for me doing it is informed by uh, some experience I had pair coaching with Llewellyn Falco, who has been on the show already in the past and would be a great guest again. Uh, he has a format he uses, and I've been borrowing liberally from it because it was one of the most effective formats I've seen as a coach. Um, so I'm not. This isn't. This isn't paid work. This is me as an itinerant programmer for room and board and travel uh, because we're in Europe for such a long visit and I'm on a tourist visa. I had to go to an office and get a special extension added to my passport. So I'm not messing around with getting paid on this trip, but I do want to build a network of relationships in Germany because someday we may live here. And I also uh, do want to get some training this year, even though I'm an independent consultant. And so this is my training. Uh, I'm going to put on my resume in a couple more weeks, you know, 2018 training. I have something every year, you know, it's, it's James Grinding, it's Esther Derby and Jerry Weinberg, it's uh, Alistair Coburn. And now it's going to be, I went on a coding tour. So this is why I'm doing it. I'm doing it to meet companies, meet people, meet technologies, meet business domains, just get practice at coming in someplace. Because as a consultant, I do this all the time and orient myself and help other people orient themselves in problem spaces. And then let's actually do some code together. So this is, this is the format. And it's actually been uh, one week each and uh, two or three teams a day. Uh, mob programming, if they're up for it, pairing, if that's what they do. Um, could be embedded, C, C++, C Sharp, has been Python, has been Java, uh, all kinds of stuff. Uh, controlling a telescope to position it and, and take data. Uh, things I can't mention because I signed some non-disclosure agreements. Um, but, you know, anything and everything, just come in and figure out how to make myself helpful. And for me, this is this is exactly the same as consulting, but for the summer, I'm doing it for free. Wow. Sounds like an Amazing. awesome experiment, man. So, Amitai, I'm curious, what's been, I don't know, I mean, 
what, what's been the thing that has surprised you the most on this? Like, what, what did you just like, you, you didn't expect it would be this way or you didn't expect you enjoy something as much, or maybe it was as difficult. Like what's just been the biggest surprise of this experience? I think what I didn't account for the most is just how fully companies would want to fill up all of my time when I'm visiting with them. Yeah. Uh, not only during the day, but in the evenings, uh, like if I'm visiting a city that's new to me, which so far it's all I've been doing, let's do a walking tour. Let's, let's go to the places that we think are the highlights of the town. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. So like they're, of course they're, they're making preparations before I come for, uh, which teams are going to be available when and which kind of things are they going to work on and are, are the legalities going to be sorted out? Um, who's going to go to lunch with me? Uh, every day I do a learning hour. This is another idea from Llewellyn Falco. Uh, where everybody in the company is invited and it doesn't necessarily have to be something technical. So, for example, one of my favorite things to do is something that I started doing at uh, the coach camp where we first met in person in St. Louis, where I do mob programming for non-programmers. And yeah. I originally had this idea that it's valuable for, for agile coaches who don't see themselves as technical uh, because it makes the difficulty level of relating to programmers that you have to coach very high if you feel like you can't sit with them and join them in some way in their work. And I want to demystify that. I don't think programming is, is something that is only available to some of us. I think some of us choose to specialize, but the rest of us can relate to those people if we know a little bit about it. And this turns out to be super applicable to companies, which I hadn't thought of before. Software companies are not made up 100% of people who develop software. There are people in the company who are very important to its operation who again, maybe have this problem that they feel somewhat separate from the developers because they don't feel like they could join in and have a decent conversation about that. And so maybe, and it's turned out to be helpful so far on this coding tour, that's where I discovered it, maybe it's useful for companies to also have a learning hour where they do programming for non-programmers. Not so that everybody becomes a programmer. Lord knows the world doesn't need that. We have enough and we're going to have more. But so that the people in this company who live with each other every day live with each other a little bit more closely. Hmm. This is valuable for a company. Yeah, so, so that's been, I think, the most pleasant surprise is how directly useful that has been. Do you think, um, do you think companies or people are responding to this idea of this learning because of the uniqueness of the situation? It's you coming in as a coding tour person for a week where it's really all about learning. So the idea of, oh, we should have a learning hour. Oh, that seems like it's right in the context of what we're doing in the first place. I mean, do you think that this would be a very well-received idea without maybe your influence in the first place? I suspect not. Uh, I suspect it's, it's a challenging idea in general for people involved in the day-to-day -day operation of the company who've been there for a long time to try crossing some boundaries. I think that's, that's just a difficult thing to ask. I did get some, some feedback on uh, one of the blog posts about the coding tour saying it's great that you're able to bring so much mob programming. How did you deal with the, you know, the resistance that you might need of people who are not interested in the idea or opposed to the idea? I didn't, I didn't meet that. People were prepared for what they were going to do and that they were going to try it. And if there's a visitor and if he's a consultant who's from out of the country, he's here just for now, let's try some stuff while he's here. 
So I think, you know, I have this as a consultant as well, but even though this was free work, I had the same, the same outsider impact. The, those aren't battles that I typically have to fight. And if, you know, if a particular person doesn't want in, absolutely, don't do it. I'm not, I'm not here to force anybody that never works. Yeah. But the, the opportunity to try something new is heightened when an outsider comes. And I think it's also exacerbated in a positive direction uh, by the fact that I'm American. I'm from a different culture. Oh, I'm, yes. sure. I'm loosey-goosey. I have a healthy disregard for rules. I'm just having a good time, you know. Uh, <laughs> I think it, it helps Germans maybe a little bit open up. Yeah. Uh, so I think a combination of factors makes that something that while I was there, they were up for trying. I hope that it's a little bit sticky after I leave, ideally. Uh, and I'm, I'm getting some testimonials coming in about what is the sticky impact of, of my visit. Hopefully yeah. that's one. That's pretty fascinating. It's, it's what you've described sound, uh, for some reason, what immediately popped into my mind was like an internship. But it's unusual where the intern shows up to the office and, and is one of the more talented programmers in the space and is getting um, the entire company to show up to learning sessions. And you've kind of turned a paradigm on its head here, Amitai. It's just like we were talking about. I was thinking about internship, too, with, with respect to this. Uh, and it's just like we were saying with the hiring process, where maybe the company can do some mentoring for their hiring and maybe occasionally the, hiring, the person being hired or not being hired, in this case, can also offer feedback that's useful to the company. I think this was just mutually beneficial, and that's why that's what I'm offering, and that's the fact that it has been that is why it's going so nicely. Uh, yeah, it, I mean, I think it's fascinating. Um, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about your statement of well, we're a software company, so maybe from a learning perspective, we should emphasize software and software development. That makes sense after all; it's our business. Yeah, and I know I'm working with. Or I've, I've, I'm, I've worked with a company where the technology in use was not something, was not a language I was familiar with. I said, well, I'd really love to know a little bit more about that language, especially so I can understand maybe some of the complex work that the team is doing and just get a better understanding for their conversations. And the you know company very specifically said, yeah, but we didn't hire you to write code. Right. So why, why would you learn about that? That's not useful learning for our organization. Right. But but then we can bring somebody in who I mean, they're not hiring you to write code. It's kind of this mutual, you know, beneficial learning opportunity for each other. Right. So what about that as a catalyst? Could we apply internally to organizations that seem to have this learning block? Right. Where they say, no, 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 that's you know what? You're a business analyst. Really? You know, if you want to go take something that's specifically related to your skill, that's fine. But, you know, growing your skill base, especially understanding the context of what our business operates around software development no no, no. That, that, that's not learning we can afford this makes me wonder what what is it about you that creates this um energy to allow an outsider and people and just a learning to happen where when we try it internally sometimes we get told nope sorry you know maybe you're maybe you're just magic all the time maybe you're just so charismatic and you've got this you know this magic in you i don't know zach he's working, some of it is yeah he's working for free yeah, so I think that helps a lot. This summer, the offer is just cover the expenses because I can't legally safely charge a fee. Yeah. Uh, and so that makes it a relatively easy deal. But still I think part of it is my consulting set. Yeah, it's a it is. There's a cost here, right? So I'm not paying you directly, but there's a cost that, in theory, I'm paying to allow you have this opportunity, right? That's true. Um, 
I do think that I've never exactly put a finger on it, but I do think, and I have thought for a long time, even before I was a consultant, people seem to take me more seriously than perhaps I was expecting them to. Right. <laughs> uh, and then I think they also open up to me in a way that they weren't expecting to. Um, so one of the things I did with the learning hour last week at the company that I visited, uh, on Monday, we did a, just, I sat at the keyboard with a mind map that was empty to begin with, starting with the topic that Ryan, you and I presented at Big Apple's Crumb Day last year, the Karen feeding of T-shaped people. Nice. So of course we all know the metaphor of T-shaped people, but <clears throat> people who are in a company and maybe don't go to conferences all the time and are consultants, maybe it's new to them. So let's explore it. And then let's explore the paint drip metaphor. And let's just take ideas from everyone in this room. What would it mean to be T-shaped? How would it help? Uh, do you feel like you're supported in this? Um, et cetera, et cetera. And just building up a mind map. I'm taking notes. I'm the secretary, and I'm also trying to facilitate. And that's that's how I open the week. And then the way we close the week is the idea of bringing your whole self to work. And again, just me with the keyboard, mind mapping, group conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've done this before when I'm consulting. And people really appreciate speaking at work what it's like to be a growing breathing living caring human being at work we spend so much of our time there uh and yes i'm a technical coach but i'm a technical coach because i feel like it it improved my life when i learned about xp and i want people to have improvements in their life whether it's xp or something else this is just how i get in the door is that i can i can offer you practical improvements to how your team shifts its code but it also gets me close enough to have these kinds of conversations with a group or individually that can make a difference in work lives, which are the same as our, the rest of our lives. There's no, there's no line. It's our lives. And so I try to bring that with me as part of this coding tour because I do it when I consult, and it seems to be very important to the people that I do it with. No arguments here. I'm, I'm convinced. Can you come? Can you come start? When, when can you come do a coding tour? <laughs> Zach, Zach yeah, has an open desk. I, um, <laughs> I I could not make it to San Diego, so I think my seat's open. Yeah, yeah. Come on, Amitai. Let's see. I do not want to claim Monday? Ryan's. Let's see Monday. You know what? I'm going to take Ryan's name tag out, and I'll put yours in, and I'll see Monday. <laughs> You'll get a lot better right results up. that way. So, guys, we have hit the time box. But this was – it's it's been too long since we've talked. Uh, my my great and good friends, we, ne- we cannot go this long again. All right? Amen. So really enjoyed this. I, as you can tell, I get pretty fired up about uh, hiring. Um, I think it's an area that we can do a lot of good in the world. Um, I actually cover it quite a bit in the, in the Agile Leadership course that we've put together. And I really, ugh, I love this topic. So if there's any HR conferences out there, any organizers, hit Zach and I up. I think you'll get a very passionate, a very practical, uh, and a very thoughtful uh, conversation out of us. Uh, yeah, I think that would be a lot of fun. Guys, what would you like to promote? This is your time. It's your part of the uh, the podcast. I'll um, I'll just take a moment to promote a conference that I am assisting uh, some fine fine folks with uh, with throwing in 2019. So it's the next the annual the 2009 version of the Business Agility Conference. Um, I just want to plug it because you know I, I, if anyone who's listening is a speaker uh, and is maybe used to the standard conference format of, you know, speaking, giving a talk, doing a workshop, the business agility conference is pretty fascinating, right? It, it creates the, the opportunity for a speaker to tell a story for 20 minutes, right? Just 20 minutes to tell a story. 
but it's a it's it's not about agile it's not about software development it's not it's it's everything that we talked about even beyond software development like hiring and hr and finance it's about business agility tell a story and then afterwards sit on a panel with the other speakers and allow to inter, you know you can interact with the conference members it's a very intimate speaker experience um, it seems like a fascinating conference especially if you have a wonderful story to share about the change in your business um, and the success or maybe even the challenges, right? And maybe even the pain points or the failures that you experience by using Agile to think about how to grow agility in your business and, um, and you know, all, all of those all of those stories and learnings, right, that, that you can share with people. I, I, I think this conference sounds amazing. You can check it out. It's businessagilityconf, C-O-N-F.com. Um, take a look. Let me know if you have questions about it. I'm really looking for some some really exciting, you know, organizational leaders to, to share their, their stories. And the conference just sounds fantastic. So Is check that it out. New York again this year. That's in New York again this year. Can I ask you guys cool. a quick question? Of course. What if we did an agile for humans conference in 2019? You know what? Let's ask the listeners too. Is that interesting? What if we got a lot of guests that have been on before? Uh, we all convened in a, in a central Midwest type of city uh, and spent maybe two or three days in an open space slash long form workshop kind of format. Just curious what y'all think. Hit us up on Twitter. Um, send me an email. Leave a, leave a comment on the site. Agile for Humans 2019. What do you think? Could I, um, could I get hugs? Oh, if we have? unlimited. Oh, okay. Well, I'm in then. All right. I'm in. I'm a tie. You're still in uh, Deutschland, uh, but my understanding and everybody, this is actually this is really awesome. He's back in the U.S. He's in New York, uh, coming up Q4, um, and he's going to be available. He's uh, his schedule fills quickly. If you're in the New York area and you need some technical help, you need some agile coaching, you need someone who can come in and humanize your work, which is what Amitai does. He humanizes technical excellence, and I love him for that. Uh, hit him up, find him online, Schmanz on Twitter. We'll get all his contact info. But Q4, he's going to go quick. So if you know you have a need and some budget, uh, get this guy into your, your uh, New York office. That's right. So I'm plugging uh, Latent Agility, which is my independent consulting arm of my Schmanz Enterprises. <laughs> and uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes for Latent Agility. I'm available with uh, some Q4 and some Q1, as Ryan says, in the New York area. Business Agility will be in the New York area, so there's a very good chance that I will go there. Um, I'd also like to plug the Agile for Humans 2019 conference that I heard on this show that we are maybe going to have. I think that's a great idea. Let's do it. Uh, on the subject of what it's like to hire and be hired, uh, I would recommend Agile in 3 Minutes episode 12, which asks, when you can do whatever you want, what should you want? I think that's relevant when you're hiring or being hired. Uh, and then I'll, uh, we'll put a link to all the posts on my coding tour tag on schmanz.com so you can read more about what that's been like. And that's it. Awesome. Appreciate that. So to the listeners, hey, this is going to get more regular. So now that I am uh, 100% committed to uh, my own endeavors, uh, you will see the podcast back out every week. I'm actually thinking about uh, doing some one-on-one shows with uh, people like Zach and Amitai to kind of dig a little deeper into their careers and their thoughts and try to find out um, some of the swing thoughts that they use throughout their life to, to really get this uh, level of agility. Um, so that keeping it, 
you know, keep your eyes open for that. I think you're going to start seeing some really cool things come out of uh, this podcast and some other things. Um, keep sharing the show. I just, I'm amazed, even though we've been a little inconsistent lately, it's just phenomenal that the numbers, the downloads hold strong. Uh, there's definitely a lot of sharing. I still see a lot of great uh, ratings and, and reviews on iTunes. Please, you know, head out there. Let's see that. That really helps the show uh, keep traction. Um, if you want to go the Patreon route, I'm amazed that, uh, you know, where that's going. I just really love the and appreciate the support there. I mean, it's just awesome how the community has just gotten behind Agile for Humans and they've made it. Uh, you all have made it the, the fastest growing and the, the largest Agile podcast on iTunes. And so that is just so humbling and amazing. And we're going we're gonna to take a lot of that Patreon funding and, and a lot of funding from this client work that I'm now doing. We're going to look at video. We're going to look at doing some live events. We're going to look at doing um, some Twitter-based events. I'm even playing around with Twitch.tv a little bit. I think you're going to see some cool stuff coming out of the Agile for Humans space here soon. Um, and so really thank you for the support and, and keep posted there. And I'll, I'll be sure to share that as well. Um, do you have any scrum training needs? Hit me up. Um, certainly, uh, this year's filling up fast, but, uh, always looking to do short engagements. Let's get your teams working in a great way with scrum. Let's, uh, let's kick off some really cool projects and see where we can go on that journey. Uh, but otherwise just thank you again so much. I really appreciate the support. Um, the last few weeks have just been a, a whirlwind of craziness trying to get a company formed and all of the, the things that go into that. And I've just had amazing help from so many in our community that uh, it's really just been a, a humbling and, and just awesome learning experience. So thank you, everybody. Um, this community is just so wonderful. Um, so guys, thank you for this conversation. I love the hiring conversation. I love uh, giving some insights and some inside baseball to people because not only are we kind of giving hiring managers some ideas, but you know candidates can use this information too to try to prepare and get their thoughts straight on what they want, what they don't want. And so I think there's just a lot of good learning all around. And so hopefully people found this interesting. If this was helpful, if this topic resonated, uh, shoot us a, a message on Twitter, leave us a note on the website. We want to hear that feedback. We want to know that this is the kind of thing that you're looking for. And if it isn't, Tell us what you wanted uh, to talk about next time. I'm sure we can make something up. All right. This is uh, episode 97, 98, 99, whatever it is, Vagile for Humans. I'm your host, Ryan Ripley. Zach and Amitai were our awesome guests tonight. And uh, we, need a good, we need a sign off. What's the a, what's a saying? We're going to solve this tonight. How do we close the show, guys? Oh, man. Problem solving on, the, on my feet. Yeah, that's... Um, <clears throat> You like know what a, we're like going to close this one out with? Scrum on. Well, scrum on or like Spock said in Star Wars, never give up, never surrender. <laughs> Good enough. Have a great night, everybody. Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, and learn more about working with us at Agile for Humans. Thanks for listening, and scrum on. <laughs>